Let us pray. Dear God, like the fresh breeze from outside, we welcome your Holy Spirit to move among us here in this congregation. So that as we reflect upon your word, you would draw us more fully into your kingdom. And most of all, draw us closer to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This gospel story today about Jesus going to the home of uh, a Pharisee leader got me thinking about all of the banquets that Danette and I enjoyed during our seven years in China. These were wonderful affairs, and uh, just as in Palestine 2,000 years ago, in China there are very clear expectations about what you do and where you sit based on your relationship with the host and your own social status. One of the interesting things is that if you go to a Chinese banquet, the host and the top guests always, always sit facing the entrance. Anybody want to guess why? (laughs) Well, I uh, would often ask my Chinese friends why this was so, and uh, of course the first answer is, well, that's the way we always do it. But eventually people would go deeper, and uh, it was because of ancient habit during unsafe times, you wanted to be the one facing the door, and the last thing you wanted to do was have your back to the door so that you might be surprised. The Chinese are consummate hosts. They put us to shame. And one of the things that would always happen, even at the very beginning when we were just, just beginning to learn Chinese, is they would praise us up and down about our wonderful Chinese, which it wasn't. (laughs) And one of the things that we learned right away is that you absolutely don't want to answer thank you. That's a very rude answer. It's good in our culture, but it doesn't work in China. Instead, you would answer with things like, please don't exaggerate. (laughs) Or, my Chinese is atrocious. Well, one of those times I was at a banquet and all of these humble pie answers actually were precisely on target for me. Uh, In China, you get to these round banquet tables And there's something called the public chopsticks. And they're used like serving spoons in our country to dole up food from the center dishes onto your plate. And so I turned to the host. I needed the public chopsticks. And uh, I asked him to pass them. But instead of saying, please pass the public chopsticks, what did I say? I said, please pass the public toilet. For these university officials, this was the funniest thing they had ever heard their whole lives. And I laughed with them for five minutes. 
and then they kept on giggling another five minutes without me. And uh, I tried to never use the public chopsticks at that meal again. In Luke 14 today, we're at another table, aren't we? Where a leader of Pharisees has invited Jesus and some guests to share the Sabbath meal in his home. And what they've all heard, and apparently they've all heard about Jesus already, because verse 1 tells us that they're watching him. They're looking at him, and so it seems that poor Jesus' invitation to this meal is more inspired by perhaps entrapment or gathering evidence than hospitality. In Luke, we've already seen twice that Jesus is now, has now set his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus is heading toward the city of David and the cross. And along the way, he feels this urgency, this urgency, this fire in the belly to share with everyone about the kingdom of God, God's realm of mercy and shalom, of wholeness and holiness, of hospitality and humility. And Jesus' primary mode of show and tell about the kingdom of God happens at tables over food. There are actually ten such meals in the Gospel of Luke. The table, who is invited, where folks sit, and how they share their food with one another, all these become visual sermons for Jesus of the inbreaking kingdom of God. His open table fellowship with societies unwanted is where Jesus remembers those who have been dismembered by human attempts to separate and divide, judge, and cast out. And the way that Jesus shares his table with everyone is absolutely electrifying. Everybody was watching. You see, the idea, the crazy notion... That God has set a table for all? That all people are loved and invited and wanted, wanted by God. (laughs) That, for some people, is a scandal. And for other people, it's great news. What is it for us? What is it for us? We hear this same paradox in the words that are shouted out about Jesus in Luke 15.2. This guy welcomes sinners and eats with them. Holy cow. That's not in Luke (laughs) 15.2. 
In that case, if you look it up, it's the horrified cry of a religious leader, a pastor. But you know what? It could also be the ecstatic shout of a tax collector, of a leper or a thief who has just shared Jesus' table. This guy welcomes sinners and eats with us. Hallelujah. Just depends on your position, where you are, whether this is good or terrible news. In today's story, our Sabbath meal opens with Jesus healing a man with dropsy. We, we skipped over that. Now, as Richard Rohr, and by the way, this is not our Richard Rohr, but the other Richard Rohr. Sorry, Richard. But the other Richard Rohr says something really funny, or he sometimes asks, how come Jesus waits to do all of his healing on the Sabbath? <laughs> I guess he had a point to make. Now, if Jesus' host doesn't have indigestion yet, he certainly has it now, when Jesus launches into a so-called parable, a parable that basically describes exactly what Jesus has just seen and witnessed here in that room around the table. Jesus tells these folks, when you're invited to a banquet, don't just sit down at the seat of honor just because it happens to be empty. Your host probably has a guest coming who's much more of a VIP than you'll ever be. And you will be humiliated and disgraced and asked to move. Instead, go to the lowest spot and enjoy having your host in front of everybody upgrade you. Upgrade you to a higher spot. Now, <laughs> at first blush, it might seem like Jesus has suddenly morphed into a first century mismanners, right? Giving out etiquette advice about how to win friends and avoid social blunders. But I think we all know that we're missing the point if we think that Jesus is simply coaching his guests here how to feign humility and to more cleverly play the power games of his day. And this becomes especially clear with his stunning words in verse 11. All who exalt themselves are going to be humbled. And all who humble themselves, they're going to be exalted. And, by the way, who is going to be doing all of this humbling and exalting? Well, he's still talking about the banquet host in his parable, but all of a sudden, it's very clear that He's also talking about God. 
He's talking about God. Jesus is trying to teach them and He's trying to teach us how to see things as they really are. Because when God's kingdom comes in all of its fullness, God's going to scatter the proud and bring down the high and mighty. And God's going to lift up the lowly and fill the hungry with good things, to quote Jesus' mother. Right? In the Magnificat. Or to quote the singer Adele, there's going to be a whole lot of turning tables. There's going to be a lot of turning tables when the kingdom comes. And Jesus is asking these religious folk and all of us here at East Chestnut this morning to start seeing the world with God's eyes. And to start living now, today, the way things are going to be for all of eternity with God. Jesus is saying that the person jostling for his special seat at the table is not seeing what's really real. That's bogus. He's not seeing that all people are wanted by God. At the table. That no one is less or more important. Nobody's less or more worthy. Nobody's less or more loved than anyone else. In the kingdom of God, the only jostling there's going to be is people putting in more leaves in the table and jumping up to pull in more chairs to make sure that everybody has a place. And all of us here at East Chestnut get to start extending and keep on extending this divine hospitality at all the tables of our lives. At this communion table, at our community meal and community festival tables, at our cafeteria tables, at school and work, and at our kitchen table back home. Young people, this includes you as well, especially right now with school just beginning, welcoming newcomers and outsiders at your cafeteria table, and along the way, entertaining angels in disguise. Amen? And then our story ends in verse 12 with our dear Jesus turning to his host and handing out one more Uninvited piece of advice. You think he's going to get asked back for another (laughs) 
for another banquet. He tells them, the next time you throw a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and get a sweet taste of the way things are going to be with God forever. Experience the joy of the life of God. Experience the joy of the life of God when you do things like that. In many of our Bibles, there's a heading above our story that says that this is not only a story about hospitality, but also about humility as well. And in my email to you this week, I asked you to ponder a definition for yourself of true humility. What is it? We all get confused about this. Many think that being humble is just being down on yourself. Thinking of yourself as a worm. Or taking the low seat so that you can get upgraded later. Is that humility? It's probably safe to say that whenever we're trying to act humble, we've already lost the game. True humility is sort of the overflow. It happens naturally in our lives. The best definition that I've ever seen for humility is that we are being 100% truthful about ourselves, my gifts and my liabilities, before God and before each other. Think about it. Every talent that you and I have is a gift from God, right? We are who we are because of all of the incredible loving support that people have been providing for us for eons. So how can we on earth take credit when we get praised or take the full credit ourselves? It's dishonest. And so we can gather in everybody for the praise. God and everybody who shaped our lives. Now, I know that's a little difficult and a quick answer, but it's something for us to ponder. In the same way, the proud person elbows others out of the way for the best seats at the tables of life. We see that happening everywhere. But the humble person sees things the way they really are. That all of us are connected together, interdependent in the words of Martin Luther King, bound together in an inescapable network of mutuality, woven together in a single garment of destiny. And so the humble person doesn't rush to get the best seat, but make sure that everyone has a seat at God's table. The false self is always setting itself apart. 
The true self in Christ is one in an ever-deepening communion with God and everyone around us and loving it and enjoying the ride. Earlier this month, I spent six days with around 20 people at a silent centering prayer retreat up near State College. And we'd spend three and a half hours every day together being still and waiting upon God. This was my fourth extended retreat like this. Earlier ones had been very peaceful and restful. But not this one. And in ways that I still don't fully understand, this one was quite shattering and remaking. One where I newly became aware of my own need for God's grace. My own need not just for a role model in Jesus, but for a Savior. And our groups coming to the Lord's table every day, that became the place where I experienced God's desire to share that saving grace with me. And I left the retreat newly aware of being wanted and desired and loved by God. Sharing that table at the retreat made me want to share the table with other people. That's the way it is with Jesus. We experience something and then we want to pass it on. Pay it forward. And so after the retreat, I decided to make an unscheduled stop to see Richard Ennis a second time in the prison up at Benner, where I'd visited him already on my way up. And the second time, because of my retreat, I noticed how I was seeing all those inmates differently in that big visiting room. I was still seeing their crew cuts, their tattooed arms and necks, and their guardedness with everyone around them. But I was also seeing each of them as wanted. Not wanted by the law, but wanted by God. Richard and I, right in the middle of that hubbub of the room, it's quite a sight seeing these hardened inmates, and then their little child comes running in. Oh my goodness, you can't believe it, what that's like.
Richard and I set up a, a table, a communion table, right there in the middle of all of this, and we shared the Lord's Supper together. And as we shared wheat thins and grape juice from the prison vending machines, you have to be uh, creative. Jesus came into our bodies and into our lives in a new way. His grace was flowing on tap. And looking back, my only regret, how did I miss this? Is that we only had communion together. Why didn't we turn and invite anybody who needed the bread of life to join us at the plastic table? That's the way it is with this table business and Jesus. He's always expanding our vision. Always helping us to see more and more people who are wanted at his table, desired by God. And there will always be another chance, thank God, to gather in new people the next time. You see, for our Lord Jesus, there were never holy tables and other tables. How did the church end up with this? There were never holy tables and the rest of the tables in the world. Ones where he did holy stuff and where other stuff happened. Every table was holy. And so must our tables be holy as well, dear friends. And it's especially at our tables this coming week. At your kitchen table. At your cafeteria tables. At your work tables. At our community life or meal table downstairs tomorrow. That we get to live out his radical vision. So this coming week, whatever your table you're at, just pause. Pause. And give thanks for everyone who's there. Ponder. Who needs to be welcomed in yet? And live today. Live today by the way things are going to be forever with God. Amen.